First of all, welcome. Great to have you guys in North and you guys in Leith joining us. Really good to be one church, three locations together. Uh, we're going to turn to the Bible in a moment. Let me, um, let me ask you a question. Going back 2,000 years, I don't expect you to know the names of many people who were crucified. But I'm guessing you probably know the names of two people who were crucified. Um, Jesus and... Not, no, not Brian. <laughs> Jesus and... None of you said it. Spar- you know, you know, all know other names. Spartacus. Say, ah. Okay. And you all know about Spartacus because of the movie, right? Your grandparents have got the VHS in their, in their cupboard somewhere. You have to, who's seen the Spartacus, the movie? Okay, one with Michael Douglas and, and all that, yeah? And it was Spartacus... Uh, was made famous by the movie, but he was famous before that. And what he was, Spartacus was a gladiator, he was a slave, and he basically caused an uprising. And he, he rallied thousands of the slaves in the Roman Empire to stand against Rome and the slave movement. And they were basically wanted their freedom. So he was standing against Rome, his, his fellow gladiators and, and slaves were standing against Rome, and then their mutiny was qu- crushed by the power of Rome. And to make an example of it, now to be honest, Rome was scared when there was an uprising like this. Why? Because they had millions of slaves. And Rome thought, if we have an uprising among the slaves, you know, who's going to do our work for us? So they wanted to send a very clear and strong signal. So they crucified Spartacus and 6,000 of his followers on the highway to Rome. And by doing that, they sent a clear signal that you don't mess with Rome. And actually, the Roman historians went to town on documenting Spartacus' crucifixion. They made it widely known, far and wide, and they deliberately did it because they wanted the message to go out that you do not rise up against Rome. And it worked. There was no other uprisings of that nature again. So the reason you know about Spartacus it's because the Roman historians went to town on Spartacus's crucifixion. The question I've got is, how is it today we know about Jesus? How do we know the story of Jesus? Jesus, this carpenter, this Jew, who was crucified by Rome, along with thousands and thousands of others. How do you know about Jesus? This guy who grew up in Judea, armpit of the Roman Empire, this guy who gathered a group of peasants, basically as far as the world was concerned, nobodies. And yet you know his name, you know his story, you know more about him than you do about any of the emperors who ruled Rome. So how is that? And the answer is, he rose from the dead, the disciples saw it, they were so transformed by the resurrection of Jesus, that they went on to tell the whole world and no one was going to stop them. The resurrection of Jesus Christ put Jesus on the map, put Jesus on the radar, and rightly so, because he's one who should be on every human being's radar. So what we're going to do is I'm going to talk about the resurrection. And we're going to go into the book of Acts chapter 4, where the mega theme of what we're reading here is the resurrection. 
A miracle has just happened. We read about it last week, Acts chapter 3. A lame man walks. Huge crowds gather in the temple in Jerusalem. And Peter and John stand up and preach to the crowds. And then next thing we find is they get arrested. And here's where it goes. Acts chapter 4, verses 1 to 12. The priests and the captain of the temple guards and the Sadducees came upon Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, but because it was evening, they put them in the jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders, the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so was Caiaphas. I don't know if you remember them from the Gospels. They featured in Jesus' trial only three months before. John and Alexander and others from the high priest's family were also there. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, say filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame, and and we are being asked how he was healed, then let this be known to you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is, and he quotes the Old Testament, the stone the builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Say cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we, not might be, but must be saved. So what disturbed the Jewish authorities? Verse 2, it says, They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. The resurrection of Jesus was the mega message of the apostles. It was the message on which the church was birthed, on which the church was founded. It was the mega message. In fact, throughout the whole New Testament, there are over 630 references to the resurrection and eternal life. Right? It's the mega theme of the whole New Testament. It's a controversial thought. Some people debate the question, did Jesus rise from the dead? Many people who have come from uh, even a legal background have investigated the claims of the resurrection and have come to the conclusion that it did indeed happen. Here are two of the most common questions about the resurrection. Some people ask, well, did the disciples not just steal the body from the tomb and then claim a resurrection? And if you think about that for a moment, think about it. In other words, they made up a lie to just basically keep the thing going. And if you think about that, and you actually really think about human nature, how many people would die for the truth, let alone die for a lie? And yet all of the disciples, apart from John, died as martyrs claiming the resurrection happens. Surely one of them would have caved in just at the last minute, just before their execution. Okay, it didn't happen, but they didn't. Not one of them flinched. They had seen something that so remarkably impacted their lives that they were changed forever and they lived for Jesus and for the truth of his resurrection and proclaimed that in the known world despite incredible pressure and threats. I mean, you think about them. Just months before, 
the resurrection. Just once before this moment, we're reading in Acts, they were cowering nobodies. They saw Jesus crucified and they were running for their lives. They went from fearful peasants to becoming bold proclaimers of this resurrection message. What could do that other than the reality of a resurrection that they had seen? They were changed forever. So I don't think the disciples stole the body. I know that didn't happen. Another question people will say, they say, well, okay, the Jewish authorities, they kept the body. They hid the body. You've got to ask, well, think about that. The Jewish authorities wanted to do everything they could to eradicate the church. And as I said a moment ago, the church was based and founded on the very teachings of the resurrection. So surely, if the Jewish authorities didn't want the church to exist, they would just simply bring out the corpse. Look, there's your Jesus. He's dead. And right there would win all the arguments and they would have to be quiet and it would kill the movement. But they didn't have the corpse. In fact... In the city where Jesus was crucified in Jerusalem, the church had grown to tens of thousands of people and within a mile, there was the empty tomb. I mean, it's incredible. The authorities did not have the body. The disciples did not have the body. Jesus had indeed risen from the dead. And you know what's interesting as well? If you look at it, the Jewish authorities didn't even question the resurrection. They kind of knew what had happened. Paul makes the point, and this is true, 1 Corinthians 15, 17, if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile. C.S. Lewis said, Christianity, if untrue, is of no importance. If it's true, it's of ultimate importance. But one thing it can't be is moderately important. It's either total false and can be completely ignored or it's 100% true and cannot be ignored and places a demand on your life. But it just can't, you can't be on the fence when it comes to this truth. Paul says, if, if the resurrection didn't happen, your faith, my faith, the faith of millions of others is futile. Jesus, if he's not alive, then the cross didn't work. You're still in your sins. Eternity is an unreality. Life is all there is. There was a collection of photographs from World War II very sobering photographs being shown in a gallery, kind of black and white shots, and they were showing various, you know, aftermath of tragedies in World War II. One of the photographs that was particularly moving was the photograph of a dead mother with her living baby still in her arms, and the corpse of this mother lying in her own blood, lifeless. Her arms were lifeless, her body was cold, her breasts were no longer able to nourish the child. And the child was lying in her arms, in these lifeless arms. The child was cold, unable to get warm from the mother. The child was hungry, no longer able to have breast milk, unable to be nourished by this corpse. It's a horrible image. And the truth is, if Jesus is dead, then you've just been fooled with the greatest hoax ever, along with two billion other people on planet Earth. If Jesus is dead, you'd be as well worshipping a rock, a tree, an image you've carved. If Jesus is dead and not risen from the dead, then all you're giving, Christmas hampers, serving, all these aid organizations birthed in his name, all these orphanages, all these great things that have happened in his name around the world are just completely flawed. Furthermore, two billion other people on planet Earth have fallen for the same hoax. If Jesus is dead, then there's nothing in it. But if Jesus Christ is alive, then this is the greatest news ever. The greatest news ever came from a graveyard. The truth is this, when sin came into the world, the instant result boom, was death. 
And when Jesus came into the world to conquer sin, the instant result was life. And it manifests, first of all, in a resurrection of the Savior from the dead on the third day. And now that life is available. And the moment you trust in Jesus, you go from being part of the human race who has been fallen through sin and is subject to ultimate death and eternal separation from God. You connect with Jesus, the eternal one who died on the cross for your sin and rose again. Instantly, life has entered your being. You've become a living person and a life person. So much so that even if you die, you're still alive. I mean, nothing, nothing ultimately can touch you if you trust in Jesus Christ. You're alive forevermore. That's the gospel. That's the truth. And that's what these people knew. And the truth is the Jewish authorities, they didn't even challenge the claim of the resurrection. They were just disturbed that they were preaching it. But they didn't challenge the claim. Why? Well, if you read back in the gospels, you discover that the soldiers who'd stood at the tomb of Jesus, they paid them a bribe to keep them quiet for what they'd seen. The Jewish authorities knew fine well that the resurrection had taken place. And that, my friends, reveals something about the nature of unbelief. Unbelief isn't that it's unintelligent to actually believe it. Unbelief isn't the result of an intelligent process of figuring out, okay, it's wrong. You know, some people say, okay, I don't believe because I can't figure out this, this, and this. That's not the nature of unbelief. So right here, you see the Jewish authorities knew full well the resurrection had happened, and yet they were in unbelief. Furthermore, standing in front of them, standing was a man who'd been lame from birth for 40 years, standing right in front of them in this court hearing. And they still refused to believe. Unbelief isn't the absence of something, evidence. It is the presence of something else. It is an attitude. It is a choice to refuse to believe in the living God who has done something great and your soul testifies to the greatness of it whether you choose to go with it or not. Now, why would they not believe it? And I think it was the resurrection message challenged them to the core. And actually, why would we not believe it? Why would our city not believe it? For the exact same reasons they didn't believe it. Unbelief, this choice is happening maybe in your life, some of your lives, maybe in people in the city around us. Why is it happening? So here's three things I see in, these, in this message Peter preached. First of all, uh, he told it challenges their sin. Big style. Peter challenged their sin. He said in the verses, you killed him, but God raised him. He said that to the Jewish authorities. And actually, that's the third time Peter has said this already in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2, all the, the Jewish pilgrims from all the surrounding area were there for Pentecost. Peter stands up in front of the crowds and says, you killed him, but God raised him. Acts chapter 3, the lame man gets healed. Crowds gather in the temple. Peter speaks to the crowds of worshippers in the temple. You killed him, but God raised him. And now he's standing in front of the very court that Jesus stood before, before his crucifixion. And he says to this court, you killed him, but God raised him. Now, if you think about it, that one sticks. That was, they were the guys, okay? They were the guys. So we get that one. We get Peter standing up in front of the Jewish Sanhedrin, the authorities, and say, you're the ones who killed him. And we say, okay, we get that. But Acts chapter 2, standing up in front of a bunch of pilgrims who'd come from all over the known world to worship in Jerusalem. You killed them? Come on. So the truth is this. Whether you're a Pharisee 2,000 years ago who was there condemning Jesus to death in front of Pilate, or whether you are here 2,000 years later, the truth is this. Our sin caused the crucifixion of Christ. This message points to the fact 
that every human being before God is guilty. That's the truth. Are you willing to accept your guilt before God? Or are you going to live in denial? I'm fine. Don't need God. I'm fine. The second problem with the message that went against them and the reason they didn't believe and the reason many people don't believe today is it was incredibly exclusive, very narrow. I mean, you read it. Peter said in verse 12, salvation is found in no one else. Say no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Now that was controversial 2,000 years ago. How many people know that's controversial today? (laughs) That's not very PC. You know, we're in a world that wants, wants to say, always lead to God. Well, I guess always do, but it all depends on what he says when you get there. Okay. The truth is, the way of salvation comes only through Jesus. Now, that's incredibly exclusive. Question, I mean, I know you might not like the exclusiveness of that, but whether you like it or not isn't the ultimate gauge of whether it's true or not. The question is, is it true? Not whether you like it. And here's the fact. We're sinners. And the only way sin can be dealt with is if death happens. Either we die for our own sin or someone dies for us. And if they die and they also are sinners, then they can't help us because they're in the same predicament as us. So it had to be someone who was one of us, dying on behalf of us, who also wasn't a sinner. And only one person in planet earth qualifies for that and that's Jesus Christ Buddha was a sinner Muhammad was a self-confessed sinner Jesus there was no crime in him there was no sin in him and he therefore was a sinless sacrifice on behalf of sinful humanity furthermore he couldn't just be a man because otherwise it would just be an historic act that we can look back to and it wouldn't be relevant wouldn't be poignant wouldn't be powerful to change our lives today Jesus was none other than God and man. God in the flesh. And therefore that act on the cross has eternal significance and today has power pulsating through it and can save a soul. So the truth is, so it's not just, we're not just trying to be narrow. Peter wasn't trying to be narrow. He was saying, this is the fact. No one else on planet earth has died for you. No one else was qualified to die on behalf of all human beings. And furthermore, he's God. So he died to save you and he alone is qualified. He's the only certified savior. So question, Are you willing to acknowledge you're a sinner before him? Are you willing to accept him and trust him fully as your savior? And then the the other bit of the message, it challenges your very purpose. It gets right to the core of your purpose. You see Peter here quotes from the Old Testament, from one of the Psalms, and he says, the stone you builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Now apparently in those days when they were building buildings, they would put down the cornerstone first, And they would have that cornerstone in place and then every other stone would be placed in reference to that cornerstone. That that was the setting out stone and every other stone found its position in relation to that stone. So in other words, when it says he's the cornerstone, what it's talking about is the stone that you just set aside as if it was nothing isn't just nothing. It's everything. It's not just unimportant. It's the most important. Every human being is a cornerstone. Every human being has a foundation, has a very thing that defines their entire purpose. 
For some people, it's a relationship. Okay, I'm living for that relationship. That defines, that makes all the decisions for me. I, the reason I make decisions is because of that relationship. The reason I'm willing to change is because of that relationship. I'll do anything because that relationship. Or it could be money or your career or your identity. Or it could be even yourself. I am the reason I'm alive. I decide my destiny. I'm the man or the woman. So you become your own cornerstone. But what the Bible says here is that the only cornerstone who actually makes eternal significance and sense, the only cornerstone that cannot be shaken through life circumstance is Jesus Christ. So I don't care if you're religious. I don't care if you think you're the bee's knees. Is Jesus the cornerstone of your life? If he's not the cornerstone of your life, then you have a very temporary foundation. You're in a shaky grounds. So question, are you willing to acknowledge you're a sinner before God's Are you willing to acknowledge there is only one qualified savior of the world who died and rose again for sinners like us? And are you willing to let him be the cornerstone, the very first place in your life? Now, that's a controversial message. (laughs) That's why people oppose it. It's not that it's intelligently not possible to believe it. It's that people don't want to believe it. And that's what was going on here. So there's the resurrection message. But then we see the next part is they had resurrection power. Verse 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled and ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Say, these men had been with Jesus. But since they, could not, since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and confer together. What are we going to do with these men? They asked. For everyone in Jerusalem knows that they have performed a notable sign. And we cannot deny it. A number of things I see here. I mean, first of all, it says they saw the courage of Peter and John. There was a, it wasn't just a boldness. It wasn't just confidence. They weren't just being, having bravado. This was courage. They were standing in front of the same court with Annas and Caiaphas, the same court that Jesus three months before had stood in front of. And then he was crucified. And now they're standing in front of that same court. That's courage. They're standing in front of that same court and not holding back. They're confidently, not cockily, but confidently declaring the truth of Jesus to that same grouping of people. That's incredible. They had courage. Number two, they were unschooled, ordinary men, it says. Literally in the Greek language, it translates illiterate. They didn't have any education, couldn't read and write. And yet they were standing up, speaking articulately. Is that how you say it? They, they, were, they were putting it across in such a way, think, that's a strong argument. And the killer blow in the argument was they had a guy who couldn't walk for 40 years standing right beside them. Winner of an argument, that one. Yay. You know, I mean, that right there wins all the arguments. (laughs) So they had courage. They were articulate. 
and they had a sign and a wonder right beside them. And this is what the Holy Spirit empowers us to do. When we're proclaiming the resurrection message, you, you can expect to see resurrection results in the proclamation of the resurrection message. Every time, God will see to it. And <clears throat> how can that be? Well, the answer's in the verses. They, they say, well, they, they give the answer. They knew, listen, it says, they took note that these men had been with Jesus. That's the key. That was the key to their success. These guys had been with Jesus. But they hadn't just been past tense with Jesus. They were currently with Jesus. They were currently living and breathing in the atmosphere of Jesus Christ. They were operating in the power of Jesus. Now, that's what they were doing. Jesus had told them already. He said in Luke chapter 21, verse 12, they will seize you and persecute you. They will hand you over to the synagogues. They will put you in prison. You will be brought before kings and governors all on account of my name, and you will bear testimony to me. But make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves. For I will give you words. Say, I will give you. It didn't say, I'll, 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 you know, you'll remember stuff that I said years ago. It says, current, present tense. I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to contradict or resist. That's amazing. So the reason they were able to be courageous, articulate, and they had a sign and a wonder standing right beside them was because Jesus did all that. And it wasn't like a memory of Jesus. It was the current presence and active moving of Jesus. It just happened to be doing it through them. You see, it's not about what we get to do for God. It's what God wants to do through us. It's not what, it's, it's Christianity, it's not the works we do isn't to earn anything. It's all been earned for us. It's, that's why it's called fruit. It's what God wants to do through us. He wants to produce things through us. He wants to do his great works through us, ordinary, unschooled people. He wants to give you courage, words, and signs and wonders. You see, how can you be with Jesus? Jesus promised in John 14, verse 16 and 18, he said, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I know that verse doesn't sit right. It kind of is clunky. One minute you're thinking he's speaking about someone else. The helper will come. Next minute he's saying, I will come. And because you can't separate God out. We're believing in one God, not three gods. One God who's eternally existed in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So when you have the Holy Spirit, you have the Spirit of Christ. And so what's happening here is that they had the helper. They had the Holy Spirit. The, Jesus went from being here to being here. And the works of Jesus went from being there to being, I don't know, <laughs> like that. They, they were coming through us. That's what was happening here. This is, that's the book of Acts. His work continues. And, you know, so if you were going to come to my house, I, I, you could go one of two ways. Either I could say to you, here's a map. I'll see you there. Now, depending on whether you or your wife drove, you may or may not make it. Alternatively, I could say, here's a map, but I'm also going to come with you. And I'm going to sit with you in the passenger seat. And I'm going to tell you, turn this way. 
We're going to get there. Turn that way. Avoid that road. Now it's time to go faster. Now it's time to slow down. I'm not just giving you a map. I'm giving you my presence. And when we're talking about the Holy Spirit, we're talking about the presence of Jesus. Not just saying, here's the Bible. Get on with it. See you in heaven, son. He's saying, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to fill you with my presence. I'm going to work with you. I'm going to give you this map. And you're going to do great things. That's why it says says in verse 8, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them. Now, it's not talking about, all right, two chapters ago, that's when Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. All right, yeah, in 1991, I was filled with the Holy Spirit. I remember that moment. It's not saying that. It's saying Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a current moment. It's not like an old memory. It's a current experience. And you, gotta, you can't just live in an old memory of a filling with the Holy Spirit. You've got to live in a current experience of being filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's why we've got to pray and read his words. You don't, we don't pray and read his word to be religious and take off our duties. We pray and read his words because it's in praying and reading his word we get to be with him. It's, it's, this is our means by which we enjoy relationship with him and are continually refilled with the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. And he does great things through us and accomplishes incredible things. And then having been filled with the Holy Spirit, you've got to step out. And I, I know it's nerve-wracking to step out and believe that God could do something through you, speak great things through you, see great miracles through you. But ordinary people like us, we can see this. You guys in North can see this all around the Granton, Pilton area. You guys in Leith can see it all around there. And you guys in Gorgia here, you guys can see miracles, ordinary people seeing great miracles happening in our communities. We can see it. Last Sunday night, I was through in Destiny Church in Glasgow in the Sunday evening service. And at the end of the meeting, the Holy Spirit, Jesus, just spoke to me. And he said to me, there's a lady here, and, it, and I, 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 I could just picture it. There was this, it was like a pin pricking the right ear. And so I just described what I saw. I said, there's a lady here who in the right ear is having a constant pin pricking sensation. And I said that we'd love to get a chance to pray with you at the end. Anyway, at the end of the service, this lady comes up, first, first to the front. I said, when you said that, you just said that, and there was pop. And that pricking, that pain pricking that thing you described, she'd been having that for a long time. And from that point, instantly stopped. Instantly, just before we even got to pray with her, as we spoke the word, it just instantly stopped. I'm just an ordinary, illiterate guy. And yet, I have in me the Savior of the world who died and rose again. So, I mean, it would be weird if big things didn't happen. And wait a minute, I reckon he's in some of you too. I reckon he can do great things through you. I remember when I was a student uh, through in Glasgow, I was, it's not, by the way, it's not just that miracles happen in Glasgow, okay? <laughs> I know they need more through there. I know that, okay, but... So I was a student through in Glasgow, and I was on the way to a, a student small group uh, through the week. And on the way there, I, was, I got chatting to this homeless guy, and the student's house group had, had meals being served, so I thought, well, I'll bring him with us, and he can have a meal with us. So he sat down through the meal, and all the way through the evening, he was in great discomfort. It, agony back, agony. And so he kind of went, he had the food and he managed to stay till the end. And eventually at the end, it's time to go. He was, he was ready to go because he was so uncomfortable. And me and Tim Brown, who was leading the group, 
we said to him, can we pray with you? And he, and he explained that he had a slip disc in the base of his spine and he was in constant pain. And we said, well, we'd love to pray with you. So we laid our hands on him and we prayed in the name of Jesus and we, we finished the prayer and he opened his eyes and then he really opened his eyes like this. And, and he, he straightened up and he'd been instantly healed. Not, not like it wasn't progressive, it was just an instant healing. And he straightened up like this. And he, was, he said, the pain's gone. And he said, we believe it. And he said, no, I'm telling you. I think he didn't think we would really believe it was going to happen. He said, the pain's gone. And he was like this. Um, and then that Sunday he came to church and he gave his life to Jesus, which is the greatest miracle ever. And he was prayed for that Sunday and I saw him about two or three months after that and in conversation. He said, you know that Sunday I came to church? For 17 years leading up to that, I'd had voices in my head, voices. And since being prayed for, the voices have stopped. How good is God? How good is God? Heals his back and gives him eternal life. Just ordinary, I was just an ordinary student, becoming literate. God can do great things through regular folks like us. Not perfect folks, not skilled folks, but ordinary folks like us. Resurrection message, resurrection power. But it, it lands, and, and, this is, and this is the crux of it all. They didn't just have a message, and they didn't just have current power. They had this hope. The resurrection gave them a hope. Let's read the verses. Verse 17. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people we must warn them to speak no longer about uh, to anyone in this name and they again called them in and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus but Peter and John replied which is right in God's eyes to listen to you or to him You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speak about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, let that word hit you. These weren't empty threats. These guys had crucified Jesus. These guys were murderous, aggressive, power-hogging. These were dangerous men. After further threats, it says the, where's the verse? <laughs> I know you can see it. I, I just can't see it anymore. <laughs> where's it go? After further threats, they let them go and they could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. This lame man had walked. For the man who'd been miraculously healed was over 40 years old. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Now my guess is when Peter and John were at this court hearing, my guess is that most likely the believers were gathering and praying for them. Okay, And now Peter and John are released from the court hearing and they now go and arrive and see the people who are praying. It says they lift their voices and they prayed to God and they said, listen to the prayer. Sovereign Lord, they said. Strong start, right? What they were saying is you're bigger than them. You're the ultimate authority over this authority. Sovereign Lord, they said. You made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Now they've got perspective. And then they go into this prayer. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants 
to speak your word with great boldness. That's a great prayer. Lord, enable Destiny Church Edinburgh and North and Leith and Gorgie here to speak your word with great boldness and stretch out your hand, God, and to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Again, right? It happened before. Filled again. You can be filled again. And spoke the word of God boldly. Look at this. They refused to stop. They stood in front of these dangerous Jewish leaders and they said to them confidently, but with respect, we, we can't not speak because God's told us to. They didn't stop. That's amazing. How could you fearlessly say such things? Well, Jesus said this. Jesus said in, John, in Matthew 10, 28, do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. The worst that these Jewish leaders could do was kill them. I mean, what kind of leverage is that? Is that the worst you can do? And that, by the way, was no longer a threat because death had been defeated because they believed in a resurrection. Death was no longer the threat it used to be. Death used to be ultimate. That, I mean, that was the worst threat they could threaten them with. Death. What a tiny little threat. Our Savior conquered death. A man once boasted that he cut off the tail of a, a large man-eating lion. He cut off the tail of this lion with a penknife. And someone asked him, wow, why didn't you cut off his head? And he said, oh, someone else had done that. <laughs> but the ultimate victory has been won. The ultimate enemies of Satan, sin, and death have already been defeated. Really, all we get to do is ride on the back of the victory that's already been accomplished. The greatest victory happened 2,000 years ago. One day there'll be a culmination of all. Jesus will return. There'll be a judgment day. There'll be a new heavens and a new earth. But in the meantime, we're living in the light of a great resurrection, a great gospel which we're carrying. And God has commissioned us into our generation, in our city and region to carry this gospel and this love of God to this generation. Do you live for man's approval or God's approval? Are you living life like this life is ultimate? I mean, is, is this life the most precious thing to you? Whereas if someone threatens you with death, that would be the ultimate threat. They not only refused to stop, they prayed for boldness to keep going. They didn't just say, okay, we're not stopping. They said, God, would you give us the boldness? They, they actually prayed, God, give us the boldness to keep preaching the message that got us into trouble in the first place. <laughs> it's incredible. It is absolutely incredible. They prayed, give us boldness. The American writer Frank Farley has researched heroic behavior and, um, and he divided them into people into three categories of courageous behavior. And let, let me read this excerpt from his, from his article. First of all, he said there are career heroes, emergency workers, police, paramedics, firefighters, and members of the armed forces who train for what they will do and whose work exposes them to risk as a matter of course. 
Secondly, there are situational heroes who sprint into action and courageously rise to an occasion as a need demands. Like the passengers of United Airlines Flight 93 on 9-11. They could have pleaded or prayed or simply done nothing, but instead they chose to storm the cockpit. Let's roll are now the immortalized words of Todd Beamer as he led the charge. Their actions did not save the aircraft or their lives, but most probably prevented a lethal attack on the White House or on the Capitol. And Farley goes on and identifies a third type of courage. He calls them sustained altruists, people who devote long periods or even their entire lives to great causes that they would be willing to live and die for. And this is the apostles. They had this incredible cause, this cause of the love of God, this cause of God's message for salvation for all humanity. This is, this is the cause that God is calling you to be part of, this, to be courageously living, not for this life, not for people, not for the approval of man, not for the applause of people and how people feel about you, but rather everything, God means everything to you and that his, his purpose has become your purpose and the agenda of God for this generation has become your agenda for this generation. You see, the resurrection gave these apostles personally the strength to be fearless in the face of threats. But it didn't just give them personally strength. They knew this resurrection hope wasn't just for them personally, but it was for the, for the worlds. And it provoked in them mission. For the early church, it was more important that they got the message out than they were safe. Safety was not the primary concern of the early church. Getting the message out was the primary concern of the early church. Why? I mean, these prayers they prayed were not self-centered prayers. It wasn't God, give me what I would like. They were praying prayers that were going to get them into trouble. In fact, you go on a bit, Peter was crucified. Peter ended up crucified. Crucified for preaching this message. Granted, it was years and years later, but he was praying a prayer, God, give me the boldness to keep sharing this message. This message that eventually got you crucified. But he's very happy. You'll see him one day. He, he, he did not regret that for one moment. And John, he ended up on the prison island of Patmos. In his old age, not retiring in comfort beside a lake. He, was, he ended up retiring on the prison island of Patmos. Arid, dry, deserted place. And yet, no regrets. Why would they pray a prayer like that? Why would they pray, God, give us the boldness to preach the message that got us into trouble in the first place? Why would they pray that? Why? Love. That's why. Because they just knew that God's whole agenda in Jesus dying on that cross and rising again, God did it because he loves you. God did it because he loves every single one of you. That's how much God loves you. That he was willing to do all that to save you. And they thought, well, we love this nation. We love this world. We've got to get the message out. So then, do you know what? I, I remember that. I remember when I was 15, I'd become a believer in Jesus. I'd given my life to him. And I, was, I knew that he'd accepted me. I knew that I had heaven. I knew I'd been given the greatest gift ever. And I just thought, man, I can't keep this to myself. I, I mean, how could I keep this greatest gift ever to myself? I thought, okay, God, thank you. But can it be possible I can bring as many people with me as possible? So hence, we have this church. And this multiple location church in Leith and in North and here in Gorgie. Hence, we, we have this dream of 2020 vision. You know, why do we do 2020 vision? Why the hassle? 
Why the expense? Why the, you know, you guys in North have set up the entire hall this morning. Why all that? Why, why are we doing all these midweek things? Why are we trying to do these hampers? Man, we've been gripped with a resurrection hope. We're not, this isn't ultimate. Ultimate is coming. Ultimate is ultimate. God is going to be on the throne. Eternity is very, very real. Don't live for the now. Live for God. Live knowing eternity is a reality. Live to make a difference for the glory of God. You know, we believe, why the hassle? We believe in resurrection hope. We believe that Edinburgh, people in Edinburgh can be raised from the dead at the last day and stand before God acquitted. I believe people in the region in Fife and in the Lothians can be raised from the dead in the last day and inhabit the new heavens and the new earth as God's people declared righteous, washed clean. And all, we're all sinners. And I believe God can do it. And I don't believe this is it. I'd be devastated if this was it. There are thousands, there are thousands upon thousands who are yet to hear. And this is, this is resurrection hope. So ask God for boldness. Don't, don't shy back. Don't be a mousy Christian. You have the most amazing message ever. And he lives in you. He lives in you. You. He lives in you. I think that's from the Bible, isn't it? He lives in you. And you've got this most amazing message. Don't keep this to yourself. Share it. Share this message that confronts people of their sin. Share this message that comes across exclusive. Share this message that challenges people's cornerstones. And you know what? Some people will love you. Others will hate you. That's okay. You love them so that you'll tell them. Don't be a mousy Christian. Tell them about eternity. Tell them about God. Ask for boldness. Ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit. At the end of the services in North Leith and here in Gorgon, we're going to give opportunity for people to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't be neutral when it comes to this. Be refilled with the Holy Spirit or be filled for the first time. Ask God for boldness. Be courageous. Pray for the sick. God doesn't just do miracles in church buildings. God wants, in fact, the book of Acts, most of the miracles happens out there. Have the courage. God will speak. It's his work, not yours. Be sensitive to his leading. Lord, what do you want to do today? Anyone here you want me to speak to? Pray dangerous prayers. Step out. Be bold. Glorify God with your life.